Welcome to this episode in our Fireside series. We are delighted to be joined by Jerome Durasami from the Lawyers Weekly and uh, Jason Betts, my partner in class actions in from our Sydney office. Today we'll be speaking and hearing about Jerome's perspectives on class action reporting and delivering on content for an audience in, comprising in-house lawyers and risk assessors and how to tailor that content so that it is hitting the mark in terms of um, what the readership of Lawyers Weekly need to hear and some of the key developments that they need to be um, apprised of. So Jerome, welcome to this episode. Oh, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Jerome, you've been very open in terms of your change in direction career-wise, um, in terms of from lawyer to journalist and editor of Lawyers Weekly. As the editor of an industry publication that reports across the full breadth of the industry, can you share a little bit with us about your editorial approach and really when you report on legal updates, um, who do you see as your primary audience and maybe how that's changed over time? Yeah, certainly. So um, I guess the approach may uh, differ from day to day, you know, depending on whatever's happening in the market. But Lawyers Weekly uh, sees itself and certainly positions itself as the sort of leading um, trade media publication uh, for for lawyers and, and legal professionals right across the country. Um, you know, our, our remit is the business of law, you know, what's happening day to day on the ground for legal professionals in all different kinds of practice areas, you know, what are the big issues and challenges that they're facing, the trends that are happening across the market and, and, and the opportunities arising out of not just those trends, but also some of the issues and challenges. Um, so it's a pretty broad remit uh, that we try to cover, you know, we're not just focused on, on, on courts and, and, and litigation um, or, or any other practice area, we're trying to cover all bases, uh, which can be very tough with a team of only three journalists. Um, and, you know, and between that team of three, you know, we're producing not only daily news for all the different demographics, you know, in-house, boutique, um, the emerging generation. We're also producing uh, a number of podcast episodes every week. Um, and, you know, we've got our quarterly uh, magazine that goes out. We've got our awards nights, our, our, our summits and conferences. So it's a pretty busy calendar year for us, um, but better busy than bored. Um, and, and it's really nice for us to be, uh, you know, in a position where, you know, we feel like we can help drive the conversation uh, of what's happening day to day for lawyers and how best they can be uh, the most productive and successful practitioners they can possibly be. And so for me, you know, in circling back to your question about the editorial approach, um, I, I like to see myself as uh, contributing uh, to the ongoing development uh, and expertise of lawyers of all stripes. Terrific. Thank you, Jerome. And Obviously, the audience is really, really important. Jason, I know we were discussing this earlier just in terms of who the audience primarily is for our fireside chats, and you were interested to hear Jerome's perspectives just in terms of the, the audience for Lawyers Weekly as well. Thank you again, Jerome, for doing this session with us. It, it means a lot. We don't often have an ability for our, our client base to look inside to how the journalistic function operates in the legal sphere um, other than reading the end product. Um, so our, our audience here for Fireside is focused in part on in-house legal, but also decision makers within our client base, and even to an extent, regulators and, and risk assessors. 
the in-house lawyer who, and as you've said, your publication needs to cater for a, a diverse range of different legal aspects of the legal profession. For the in-house lawyer, where do you see the the benefit uh, of of Lawyers Weekly and what it's providing for them? Well, I suppose aside from you know being able to better understand uh, you know what's happening across uh, you know the rest of the profession, you know particularly um, what's happening in house uh, and you know what their what their external providers are facing on a day to day level, uh, is it, it, I think it's really critical to have a more holistic perspective on the legal profession as a whole uh, and, and its place um, you know in in our society here in Australia. Um, you know, we do try to cater as much as we possibly can to the in-house legal professionals. You know, we have a weekly bulletin that goes out specifically for that audience, as well as a dedicated podcast. Um, and, and when it comes to uh, engaging with in-house lawyers, uh, you know, from, from, from the GCs and CLOs, you know, right down to the junior legal counsel, we try our best to you know, engage with, with professionals in, in businesses of all shapes and sizes and in different sectors to better understand what's happening on the ground. Um, and, and sometimes, we, you know, we, we, we rely on those in-house counsels to come to us to tell us that, you know, hey, this is an issue going on right now that we are seeing and, you know, we think you should write about it. And that's really valuable to us because obviously we're not in-house lawyers ourselves and we won't always know or see, uh, you know, what's going on on the ground. So in that sense, it, it, it can be really helpful um, to have Lawyers Weekly and its various publications be uh, almost a by lawyers for lawyers kind of approach. Um, and, you know, the more we can be talking to lawyers on the ground, and this applies to those in private practice as well, the more we can be talking to everyone on the ground, um, the better the quality of our content. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe I should use this as a little opportunity to shout out and say, you know, if you're seeing things on the ground that you think other lawyers need to be across, let us know and uh, we'll write about it. And I, I must say, your team has the opportunity to focus in some depth on key issues. And I've had the opportunity to talk to you on, on your podcast about various of those where, where you don't really see that as much in the mainstream media. You, you get the chance with Lawyers Weekly to deep dive. So I imagine that that would have great benefit for, for in-house legal as well. Yeah. Speaking of which, Aoife, that's, that's a segue into how do you convert some pretty complicated topics into things that the audience can manage? That's right. In terms of, you know, you're a trained lawyer, you're writing for a professional industry. So how do you balance that technical information, which is often very dense or weighty with the needs of your readership? Yeah, so I, I suppose I will sometimes take the approach that, uh, the, you know, the audience is is smarter than me when it comes to the technical aspects um, of the law. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, because I'm not uh, a practicing lawyer anymore, but also because I'm not a subject matter expert. Um, so I, I'm, in a sense, less focused on on the technicalities of, of a particular case than I am with the implications uh, and lessons arising out of that. Um, and, and so, you know, I would see it as my duty, you know, in the event that you know we're writing about a judgment that's just been handed down to uh, explain to the audience as best I can and you know and with the help very helpful contributions of interviewees explain to the audience you know what this case means uh, you know why it's significant um, and, and what they can and should take out of it so that they can advise their clients as best as possible moving forward um, that that's where I see lawyers weekly as being situated you know in these conversations uh, as as being a vehicle through which, lawyers can uh, you know better understand their duties moving forward as opposed to the the kind of nitty-gritty the minutiae of a particular judgment because uh, of course it's very easy uh, to get bogged down in that um, 
it's probably also worth saying there that um, you know, we given the breadth of content that we produce day to day, week to week, uh, it's not always possible for us to do those deep dives into uh, the minutiae of every particular judgment. So, uh, you know, we have to focus on what we think is going to be most pertinent to the audience um, and, and ensure that we can communicate that as efficiently and and uh, substantively as possible. Uh, we, you know, maybe we don't always get it right, but we certainly try our best. Jerome, we're moving into a phase where it, slowly, too slowly, perhaps the law is starting to embrace the broader media and social media in terms of how it interacts with the public. It's an area that I think a bit about because in class actions where there's a public function to the litigation as well as a private one, even even the judges are embracing the use of social media now to advertise the fact that the class action is is ongoing and and to give people the opportunity to participate. Um, I'm now in the tall grass of what I don't understand because I'm not an expert in social media, but I do want to get your take on how concepts of the ongoing litigation and the use of social media is translating into how journalists are thinking and using social media to report on developments in the law and that space. Yeah, it's a fascinating one. Um, you know, obviously, you know the advent of uh, you know different technological platforms and, and social media outlets, you know, ha ha has had many positive benefits. You know, not just um, you know for professional services, but for the community at large. Um, and in the age of coronavirus, has uh, you know been probably the best example of that. But there are, of course, certain challenges that will remain. Um, you know, most notably for me, um, you know, the fact that legislation hasn't really caught up uh, to social media um, and you know that that can and does you know create enormous problems uh, when it comes to the reporting of class actions I, I think what one thing that is perhaps a bit dangerous about the utilization of social media is the uh, I, I guess the potential um, to really lean into more shocking or clickbaity headlines um, you know which which can and does, uh, you know, create adverse impressions, uh, you know, uh, um, among readers, you know, I'm not necessarily pointing to any particular example, uh, this is more of a sort of hypothetical, but, um, you know, if there are class actions in, into a certain uh, area or space or a, t a certain type of business, um, and, you know, a, the, the average person in the community is reading about that on Facebook, and then all of a sudden they find themselves on a jury with a, in a similar case a year later, they may have already consciously or otherwise formed, uh, you know, preconceived notions that may not be entirely fair to, to, to a defendant. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily have the answer. Um, but yeah, I, I think social media can be potentially just as dangerous as it can be helpful uh, in the reporting of what's happening in the courts day to day. Um, and, you know, we can't be complacent about that. Uh, you know, we have to ensure that there are, you know, not only proper safeguards, uh, you know, for the ongoing reporting of cases, but that there's a certain uh, level of responsibility being assumed uh, by media outlets, including Lawyers Weekly, uh, in, in ensuring that reporting um, on ongoing proceedings is done as objectively as possible, but also uh, to the effect that we're not um, indirectly creating adverse impressions against one side or the other. And this is probably going to be an ongoing conversation, you know, not just for media, but also for legislators and, and, and key stakeholders, uh, such as such as law firms moving forward. Yeah, it's an interesting area. And I, I 
I think everyone's trying to get a level, a heightened level of comfort as to how how social media and the law uh, in, in, interacts. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the, the immediacy of commentary now around legal issues and big cases and access, you know, viewing them online, uh, it's much more significant than it once was. J just wanted to also ask you um, about you, you're in a new, unique experience because you've been uh, uh, you've, you've practiced as a lawyer and now you're able to step back in a more holistic way and as a journalist comment on the way we lawyers work. Um, and you, you've shared your own experiences in those spaces before. When we spoke a while ago now on your, on your podcast, we talked about the, the reality of the pressures that are brought to bear on lawyers, particularly young lawyers, as they get comfortable in their careers and in the profession. And I I feel that there's a greater awareness of the, the, the very significant pressures that come with being a lawyer. We are in a privileged position, no, no question, and we should be grateful for that, but equally the job brings with it a lot of um, responsibility. Um, we're moving into a phase where there's been a dislocation in the young legal market because they've been working remotely, they haven't learnt from their mentors in the same way, they haven't been exposed to clients, they're in their own heads more because they're, they're, they're a bit isolated physically, that might change. Um, what, what, talk a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about well-being in the legal profession and some of your insights about how it's developing and may continue to develop. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a real rabbit hole we can dive down on this one. Um, but broadly speaking, I, I'm quite concerned about the long-term uh, health ramifications uh, for the emerging generation of lawyers as a result of COVID. And, uh, you know, that's got nothing to do with uh, whether or not they've had uh, the illness uh, themselves yeah. or not. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's been a novelty element to being able to work flexibly and remotely for many young lawyers. Um, and that novelty may soon wear off. Um, you know, if you do not have that sort of day-to-day -day interaction in person, you know, with, with the partners, with the senior associates, you can't have those inc incidental water cooler conversations. You can't hear the, the partner on the phone to the client and have those incidental learning opportunities. I, I think that any criticism, you know, constructive or otherwise, that those younger lawyers may receive could be really heightened. Um, and if they're just sitting alone in their living room, um, getting that, getting feedback from somebody and they don't have anyone to bounce that around with or debrief, then they'll just end up sitting there and stewing uh, you know, in, in that criticism. Um, and, and that can be really deleterious to, uh, you know, the emotional well-being of, of a young lawyer. Um, you also alluded, Jason, um, to the dislocation um, and, and fracturing of, of, of workforces uh, and you know, teams being more scattered. Um, you know, we, we did do a, a, a feature a little while ago, which one of your colleagues, Christine Tran, con contributed to uh, about how worried uh, partners are uh, about the development uh, in the future of the younger generation uh, because they're not having those incidental learning opportunities and, and we may well be losing a whole generation of leaders in law firms, you know, which is a huge problem, you know, not only for the development 
of those lawyers coming through the ranks, but also then for the clients, you know, if, if their lawyers don't have, you know, the holistic training ground that they should have had, um, then maybe the legal services provided aren't going to be uh, up to scratch. Um, and so that's something that firms are going to have to grapple with. You know, not many employers are taking the risk to force people back in, even if it's only for three days a week. But uh, I feel like those conversations, you know, may not be too far off um, you know, if we want lawyers to be able to, to develop in the right ways. But look, I mean, more, more, more broadly, you know, when it comes to, you know, what the future uh, of the working week looks like, um, you know, we've never had a better opportunity, you know, as individual practitioners or, or, or just as a profession as a whole to create, you know, a working week that makes sense to us. Um, you know, not everybody thrives in the Monday to Friday, nine to five cookie cutter in the office. And, you know, that's perfectly reasonable. You know, some people work best at midnight, others work best, you know, at 4am in the morning, um, others can't function in the middle of the day. Um, and if you're able to find ways to work productively and successfully um, and, and perform to the best of your ability, then that's great. But you've got to be able to meet your employer and your clients halfway. And, you know, if they are in any way impacted by the structure or, or the schedule that you're operating within, um, then that's going to be a problem. So um, when it comes to, you know, the long-term well-being of those coming through the ranks, I think that they, there needs to be a certain element of individual responsibility. Um, you know, yes, take the opportunity to figure out what works best for you and implement that, but you've got to remember what your ultimate duties and responsibilities are. Those are first and foremost to the court, to your clients, the community around you, and also, of course, your employer. Um, so if you can strike a happy medium there, then I think, or at least I hope, that well-being of lawyers will be able to be better addressed moving forward. But yeah, look, I, I am a bit worried about um, you know where we could head with this in the near future. We don't want workforces to become so so scattered that social isolation is a problem that can't be solved. So we've got to be vigilant about this. We've got to make sure we're having ongoing, you know, consistent, transparent uh, conversations, you know, with our bosses, you know, with our subordinates. Um, so that everybody can get what they need and certainly clients can be served in the best way possible. There's, there's a lot of force in what you've said and and it, I like the way you put it, my words not yours, but there's sort of two edges to the sword here. The good is that the flexibility is letting people work in a way that's consistent with their lifestyle and the bad is there's a sense of immediacy to everything we do now that we can always be online and available and responsive. So I don't... I can't solve that balance yet, but I, I recognise in our teams, we, we just definitely can, can continue to need to uplift in that space to make sure people feel supported and get their time away from the office. Mm. Well, Jerome, Aoife, I think that's been an excellent discussion. Jerome, it's uh, valuable when we can have someone of your calibre and uh, experience and, and expertise to speak to our audience about what you're seeing from your um, vantage point. And it's been a we're really grateful for your contribution to our fireside discussion. So we hope to have you back and that maybe you'll have us uh, over to your place for another chat along these lines. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I always enjoy chatting with you, Jason and Anifa. It's very nice to meet you in this call. You know, hopefully we can catch up in the flesh sooner or later. Um, but yeah, no, look, it's always great to you know have a chat about these important issues. Um, of, of obviously, you know, as I alluded to before, you know, the age of coronavirus has been fantastic in you know bringing forward the profession, you know, in more ways than one, and you know, and we are able to practice in, in more modern and efficient ways, which has so many flow-on benefits for for practitioners and 
and clients alike, but we've got to be cognizant of the broader issues that are coming with that, you know, with, with you know, with regards to to our well-being, with regards to the presentation of uh, legal processes to the broader community. Um, yeah, we can't rest on our laurels. Um, you know, we've we've got to make sure that you know law remains, you know, the the critical, you know, integral cog in the machine that is our society, um, and and that's a duty for all of us uh, to take up. Important uh, principle for us and our and our audience to bear in mind. Uh, Jerome, thank you for being so gracious with your time. We appreciate it. You're most Thanks, welcome. Jerome. Happy to do it. Okay. Thank you. Bye.